And I think Apple has done such a good job of first building and also messaging an ecosystem that gives you so many tangible benefits that if you Absolutely. can like envision a situation in a retail store where someone actually is torn between Android and iOS and the salesman decides that he's going to lean on a 120 hertz panel to try to sell Android, I think the average consumer, capital A, capital C, would look at it and be like, oh, yeah, I kind of see what you're talking about, but these other 14 things are what I want and that's why I want an iPhone, so stop wasting my time. Today is important. I wouldn't even say momentous. We have back, I think, the greatest guest in the history of podcasts that we've had on our podcast and probably any podcast. I wouldn't even extrapolate <laughs> to go that far. Gracing your ear holes today, mm. which is a, a gross way to say it. We'd like to welcome back <laughs> Mr. Michael Fisher. Mr. Michael Fisher only appears on podcasts that are not deferential and that deliberately reference ear holes. It's very nice to be back with you. You should see the writer that Michael sends us before. We have to reference ear holes and he only wants brown M&Ms. Yeah, it's really weird about the brown M&Ms bit, right? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think that from me. <laughs> Thanks for having me again. Big agenda. Biggest announcement. The biggest product launch that we've seen. Nothing making iPhone phone cases with Casetify? I just got it in as well. I just unboxed Weird. that before we got on the air. Weird. I like it. That addressable market for the iPhone is so irresistible. It's so huge. And if you can get your design language or even your brand name in front of just a tiny fraction of those folks, when they switch to Android, which as we all know will happen someday, not, maybe they'll buy a nothing phone. Also, just real quick inside baseball before we get to talking about iPhones, that kind of stuff. Michael, did you or are you scheduled to receive MetaQuest 3? I am not. No, no, I don't. I don't hit the mixed reality stuff okay. too much. Fair enough. All right. I have two bones to pick with our industry, myself included. I'm leaking myself into the picking bones with myself. I think that we use the words average consumer too often. I don't think any of us really know what the average consumer is. And I use it in my videos all the time. I'm trying to scale up. Like, I don't know. Is the average consumer my mom? Is the average consumer a 16-year-old? Is the average consumer a 55-year-old on a sixth phone? Like, I have no conception as to what an average consumer is or does. And the other thing that I'm trying to work on, because I do this in my videos as a problem, is I'll say there's very little innovation from one generation, generation to the next. And it kind of dawned on me that like if you look at a road, you only see the brick in front of the previous brick. You're never going to notice how far the roads come. And you're also not going to notice when you get to the end of that road, or at least far away from where that first brick was placed. I'm trying to reset my perspective. I've been really bad at it with things like that. Like really bad, really bad about it. And I, just, I see online all the time, average consumer, average consumer, average consumer. Like, we have, who, the, who knows what the average consumer is? You know, it's funny. It's like you're, you're making a great point because it's, it's always that balancing act, right? Because I'm at the opposite side of it. I kind of realized or became at peace with the fact maybe a year or two ago that I had just completely lost the plot. You know, the 475th person in my comments said, like, you tech reviewers are so out of touch. And instead of reflexively going like, no, I'm not. How dare you? I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But the reaction is you want to keep in mind what the vast majority of people who are watching your stuff or reading your stuff need to know or are coming there for, which is buying advice. But I feel like for a long time ago, a lot of us sort of pivoted away from that. You know, it kind of became more of an experience. And it's like now these days, I'm not, like I go to do a camera comparison for the 85th time and I'm like, you know, this is not reliably contextual. This actually, from shot to shot, it changes. I prefer one phone for 20 seconds, then I prefer the other one because there's so much processing in the mix. There's so much, like, 
nothing works the way it did anymore. It's not 2013. So I feel like every video has to become this bespoke thing in the kind of wastes of that. The average consumer is completely left my mind. So sorry, everyone. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's changing for all of us too, right? I think we are probably out of touch, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, 100%. Michael, at an $800 price point for a phone, let's call it Phone X, okay. for example. What are your expecta- your minimum expectations for an $800 phone? In your opinion, what should a phone that costs $800, what should consumers expect as a minimum requirements for that price? For 800 bucks, I mean, the Pixel A series kind of wrecked the curve on this because for $800, now I expect a, a great camera. Not a really good camera, but a great camera. We're going to start with a camera. I also expect software support for at least three years. And I don't care how fast the display refreshes. I'm one of those guys. But, you know, the thing has to be usable in all environments. It has to be IP rated. And, you know, that's it. Is it reasonable? For me, I'm a screen snob. I feel like the way I interact with the phone is on the screen. If it's a bad screen, the specs to me matter much less in my experience with it. Sure. I love a high refresh screen. That is kind of where I start. Outside of high refresh screen, I don't want to ever think about the processor. I don't care what it is. I just never think about it. Does everything open up quickly? Can I multitask? Is the phone going to shouldn't be a million degrees? I don't want to have, ever be cognizant of the processor. So whether it's a flagship processor, not a flagship processor, I just want it to work for what I am trying to do with it. I would like a battery that can last me a day and cameras that are good enough to take pictures of my kids at their baseball games. It's a pretty reasonable list of expectations, I think. But it's, what's interesting, kind of the point I wanted to make is vastly different answers. And obviously, I brought it up because the iPhone 15 starts $800. And there was a bit of a, not controversy, but discussion online about 60 hertz screen on $800 phone. And that's where I'm trying to be more self-reflective. Like, maybe I am like, hey, like, hi, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> Thinking that like, maybe my expectations for what you get for that are different or what people want for that. And I'm hearing two people who really said, you wanted other things than the screen. Well, and uh, here's the thing. I think the refresh rate discourse is a bit of a trap. I uh, tweeted about this the other day. I, like, I left Twitter for three days and oh, yeah. I came online and I was like, oh my God, everyone's talking about the refresh rate. I have to go. This is the most insane thing. Because y'all know I love my foldables. You know, I probably know that I love my Motorola Razr Plus review sample. I use it whenever I can. With that phone, if you open Instagram or Twitter or pretty much any app with a feed, scrolls like a, like a Galaxy S2 that has been left outside on a hot summer day. And that's a 120 hertz refresh rate on that screen. The hardware is capable, but it is never, it has never ever been close to the feel, the smoothness of an iPhone, to pick an iPhone with a 60 hertz refresh rate. So it's not just about the number. And I feel like so many people are fixated on the numbers to the detriment of the whole conversation. And unfortunately, to go back to the creator point before, a lot of people leverage that controversy for engagement, because as we all know, it's a great way to get eyeballs. That's why I haven't made a refresh rate video yet. <laughs> so when you switch all these phones, this is another question. I just I have a list of Michael Fisher questions that I want to ask. I think people probably want to know too. You're so gracious with questions. Every time I come on here, you're the best hosts. So switching from Android to Android, are you backing up and restoring? Sometimes switching from different OEMs can be difficult. Samsung to Samsung, easy. Pixel to Pixel, sometimes easy. OnePlus to OnePlus. Are you backing up, restoring? Are you setting everything up from scratch each time? Typically, I will use Google's backup, the kind of stock Android backup solution, the cloud-based one where it backs up all your apps and stuff. But So that means I still have to log into all my apps and do all my passwords again and stuff. I did have a great experience with the Pixel this time. I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about that, but whatever. It was way better. And that's pretty cool. I look forward to talking about it when I'm allowed to. But usually it's a lot jankier than it is with the iPhone. I wonder what that process looks like for switching for you that often. All right. Yeah. 
onto the iPhone. So this is where I struggle personally. I love my switch to Android when I spend my month with Android, but I still come back to an iPhone usually as a primary phone. And I struggle with that because that phone you want for $800, there's an option available on Android. Yeah. There's an option. I want a high refresh grade. I can, I can pick. Do I want 90 or 120? Then how much zoom do I want to have? Everything we just described, there's an Android phone that matches that. And on the Android side, it's probably a foldable that matches that too. If you want to take it a step further, it might not be $800, but there's so much choice on that side that you can pick. You don't have to change what you want to suit the phone. You can pick the phone that suits you. Well said, man. Well, that's, that's what I mean. Unless if you're on the Android side, you can pick that. I don't think anybody needs iOS. There's a preference. Our lives will continue on if, if iPhone disappeared tomorrow. It might be more difficult. That's where I kind of struggle with, like, why do I keep coming back to the iPhone? There's so much choice. I don't. I love my time with Android. I would have stayed with it if I wasn't trying to, you know, do my review for the 15 Pro Max. I was on the S23 Ultra. It was perfect. It did everything I needed to do. I even got most of the iCloud stuff working on it. I was iMessaging on it fine. This is a very, like, reflective episode. Yeah. Well, could it be related to, I mean, you probably have an iOS-based family, right? Yeah, most of your friends have iPhones. Like, isn't it just? Couldn't it be as simple as the network effect, John? It is. So I, we have a, I have a shared gallery with my parents, and like it's easy for them to just share photos. And they're not going to learn how to use Google Photos. I've tried. They don't know how to use it to share things. So it just make, makes life more simple. But the big point was like, there's an Android option for everything. On the iPhone side, you oftentimes have to change what you want to the phone, and that's a very, very it's an interesting approach. I'm not saying it's bad or better. It just I have $800 to spend on an iPhone. Here's what I am going to be able to do. Yeah. For me, it might be perfect. For you, it might not. And I think Apple has done such a good job of first building and also messaging an ecosystem that gives you so many tangible benefits that if you Absolutely. can like envision a situation in a retail store where someone actually is torn between Android and iOS and the salesman decides that he's going to lean on a 120 hertz panel to try to sell Android, I think the average consumer, capital A, capital C, would look at it and be like, oh, yeah, I kind of see what you're talking about. but these other 14 things are what I want. And that's why I want an iPhone. So stop wasting my time. And I feel like we've reached this breaking point that kind of started with the Razer phone so many years ago and the refresh rate thing. And some people can't see it. Some people can see it, but don't care. And it was like the last thing before foldables that everyone agreed would set one Android phone apart from another. And it started falling apart right then because like, guys, if this is where we are, we've got a big problem. (laughs) I don't disagree on that. So a slight topic pivot if I can. Let's talk Android. Let's talk Pixel in particular. Now, I know you're at the event. You have opinions that were formed solely from that event and nothing else. Right. Google made some interesting announcements, right? I think the biggest one is if you buy a Pixel 8 Pro, that phone will be supported until 2030, according to Google right now. Right. You have interesting perspective on that. You interviewed uh, Osterlo talking about Google's history of promises recently in Stadia a uh, myriad of messaging apps, services, hardware constantly getting killed. Podcasts got killed. Can people trust that? Yeah, it's exactly what I asked Rick. And you know what? His answer was actually quite telling. He didn't speak to the broader Google habit of killing things, except to say that they're aware of it. When he responded in terms of an actionable thing, he said, the pixel. You can trust that the pixel will be around for a long time. And I believe that is true. I think that's one of the few product lines you can look at from Google and say, okay, outside of search, which they can't kill, and, you know, Bard, which they have to stick with now, the Pixel, they've put too much money into it and they've 
started to see results to the point where I think the Pixel will be around for a while. I don't think anybody's going to have use for a software update in seven years. I think it is mostly marketing move to try and get ahead of this notion that Google supports its devices more poorly than Apple does. But it's very satisfying to see because I think it's going to have a trickle-down downstream effect on OEMs. Samsung was leading the charge with five years on Android, but now, you know, now manufacturers that only offer three years of support are going to start getting pressure instead of just, you know, Motorola being like the kind of receptacle for everybody's bad vibes. It's a million mile warranty on a car. You're not going to keep the car for a million <laughs> well miles, said, but, yeah. it's, but, but it's nice to know it's there. And I've been critical of Google for killing products. In all fairness, when they said with the, the original Pixel, unlimited storage for life, they kept it. If you still have the original Pixel, you still have unlimited storage for the life of that phone. It was just changed, I don't know if it was Pixel 2 or Pixel 3, where that shifted. Yeah. So I would assume for Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro, they will support that for seven years. Do you think that seven years continues into the 9, 9 Pro, 10, 10 Pro, you know, just seven years each time? Or is that something that they take a shot at? Yeah. No, I, it, it, with the context that you just specified, I feel like, no, they kind of find a way to, to walk that back. Because seven years is an absurd, like, you're not going to want absurd. to have this thing. You're going to have to replace the battery twice at least, maybe three times. And in 2030, you're going to be dealing, what is that? Seven years? What, where are we at? Pixel 2023? 16. It'll be Pixel 16. Yeah, it would be akin to carrying a Pixel 1 today. Like, do you want to do that? I like really blue too, but you don't want to be putting up with that phone <laughs> today. You know, I was taking some photographs yesterday and I saw in a sea of iPhones, because this is Brooklyn, I saw a nine-year-old girl using an iPhone 12 Pro or something. And it was obviously hers because it was like a kid case and she's having a good time. And I'm like, wow, hand-me-down phones. Very useful use case for a seven-year update promise. Yeah. Also under the radar, if you pre-order the Pixel 8, I don't know if it's 8, just the 8 or just the 8, 8 Pro exclusively, you got free Pixel Buds too or a Pixel Watch. Oh, yeah. They've been throwing Pixel Watches at people. I, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. like, not for nothing. Like, I pre-ordered a Pixel 8 Pro. I'm going to sell that Pixel Watch. But... Mm-hmm. Is it the two, John, or is it the one? Two. It's the two? Yeah. How about it's the that? Two. The one, I would have let them keep it. The two, I'm open to trying. <laughs> All right. So my, my list of Michael Fisher questions is, is extensive and never-ending. We just got on the iPhone. So USB Type-C, I think that's a big deal. You could, you could thank the EU, maybe Apple being ahead of things, whatever the reason. USB Type-C is a giant deal. If you were to pinpoint another, I think, pain point, of Apple or something that they've been really reticent to do, I think it goes to RCS, right? Is that, is that the logical? That's a pretty good, that's a good one. It's not as, it's not as serious as not being able to move stuff around on sure. your home screen. Now, if, if <laughs> just, just kidding. Want to put my icon down at the bottom? Damn right. Um, no, no, go ahead. RCS, so, now, there, there was before the European Union was calling Apple, get by my memory serves, gatekeeper of certain softwares. And iMessage was pulled out of that, so it wouldn't have to be supported cross-platform. Can you see a world where I'm not saying iMessage for Android, I think that's a pipe dream and probably will never happen, but can you see either Apple caving or embracing RCS in the name of a better user experience for the iPhone users to message Android? Absolutely not. I just don't see why they would. And it breaks my heart to say that because personally, iMessage is one of the things I just hate the most. And this is a very complicated issue because Apple really did fix a broken system. I love SMS. I love universal standards. But I still today get video messages 
from my parents that are, of course, you know, 160 kilobytes or whatever. So like it hurts. It sucks. I think the thing that, first of all, I would have done differently if Apple was not associate that with a phone number, because that's what broke the standard. That's what led to our current situation. But that decision, I think, has led to more growth and more stickiness of the iPhone ecosystem than than anything else, than AirDrop, than MacBook compatibility. Like that blue bubble thing, which everybody makes fun of, is, is so critical. So just like the memo from, I forgot who it was, but you know, what, what, a couple of years after they rolled out iMessage, they were talking about the Android compatibility and they were like, Frederiki, I believe. It was it was a Frederiki. It was like, yeah, basically we see this only as a potential avenue for people not to buy iPhones. And I just don't see why Apple would consciously take a brick out of that garden wall. What do you message with? Google Voice, Telegram, Facebook Messenger, and Instagram DMs. It's a horrible situation. But when you ask any of us, it's like we're reviewers, so we probably have a stronger cocktail of messaging services than most folks. But speaking of being out of touch, this is why I couldn't get into iMessage in the first place, because everyone's losing their... Everyone's like, I can text from my computer. I can just look, watch, look look at this. And I'm like, I've been doing that with Google Voice since it was called Grand Central, and that was in 2007. Like, that is not new to me. But to a normal person who's not going to use Google Voice, it's deeply powerful. What's the answer? Because I can, I can see it in the comments and the messages I'm going to get as soon as the episode goes live, just to get in front of it. Why do Americans care about iMessage? WhatsApp's been great. We use WhatsApp for, I mean, we've seen these comments. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, regularly. And in all fairness, WhatsApp is very good. Is there an answer to why we are iMessage locked when there are many other viable alternatives and often ways alternatives that are better and certainly cross-platform than what we're, what we're using? Well, it's a confusing question. I think smartphones took hold in Europe and in other markets with a bit more rapidity than they did here for, you know, this is why the iPhone was such a like a mushroom cloud over America, where because it was like we had had smartphones for years, but not a lot of people used them. And if they did, they used BlackBerry and BlackBerry had a smaller version of this with BBM. But overseas, you know, by that point, people had been using Symbian based smartphones from Nokia for ages and you could download third party apps and there was familiarity with that. So I wonder if that played a part in being willing. That's a fair point. Yeah. Also, the carriers don't have as much power over there. And like iMessage is, you know, not a carrier tool, but it is tied to your phone number. And there's that portion of your identity. Did you watch Halt and Catch Fire? Did not. First season's a little bit of a grind, but the rest of the show brings me to tears. Anyway, they're building a search engine in the 90s. They're all excited about it. One night they go into the office, they look, they find that an internet provider has put Yahoo in the toolbar of its browser. And there's not even a conversation. They're like, oh, we're dead. It's over. And they just pack it in because you're right. The default has a massive position of power. So again, by history of being all over the place this episode, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the current state of foldables. Yeah. And I'm staring at my desk. I'm looking at the N3 flip. We've got pixels that fold. Samsung, of course, in the game. Oppo, OnePlus coming in. There's a lot happening here. So what's your take on current foldables now? Do you think the foldable market will survive or is foldable a transition to something different? If it's a transition to something different, I don't know what that something different is and I don't know when it will ever show up. It's not rollables until we develop a new form of physics. So I think foldables are certainly here to stay. <laughs> and I honestly think foldables are are really something Android manufacturers will need to lean in even harder and more quickly 
Because until Apple does a foldable, there's just something you cannot get that experience on an iPhone. It doesn't matter how good the rest of it is. And the rest of it's really good. God, I make that point a lot. The iPhone is fantastic. But it is still a rectangle that cannot exceed the boundaries of its canvas. And a foldable is a multimodal solution that changes shape based on your needs. So any manufacturer that's not doing foldables right now, nothing. Don't know what you're doing. Do not know why. Yeah, I do. They're expensive. They're complicated. They have greater service. and Like, whatever. It is still the only way physically to stand apart from the iPhone until we move to AI pins. So I think if there's a hardware answer, what I probably said was that, no, I mean, look, I, I use cameras way too often, and Samsung does incredible things with Zoom, and I, I like to shoot a lot of photos and shoot a lot of videos. But... Ultimately, it's a matter of flexibility for me. And what John was saying before is, you know, choice. Being locked into a single type of product, it just feels so confining to me to only be able to choose. If you want an iPhone here, here's one of four options, which is really one of two options, in two different sizes. If you want an Android with certain capabilities, cool. Here is 48 options for you. And what you can do then is like you can tune it to your preferences, which you can also do with software a lot more so than you can do with iOS. And the hardware itself is a reflection. And this is so dumb and dorky, but it is a it is a means of self-expression in the way that having a car is. Absolutely. Right? Like some people are, a lot of people are just content to get like, whatever. I don't know. It just gets me from A to B. I don't care. For me, it's like, no, the phone says something about who I am because I'm passionate about phones. And so the phone I buy reflects on me in a way that I'm not insecure if I'm carrying an iPhone around, but I just prefer my phone to say something about my tech persona. It's literally the same conversation every single time with every foldable. It's like, oh, my God, oh, that's so cool. I want to, I had one just, I've, I've seen the commercial. Yeah, man. I mean, I'd never leave my iPhone, but yeah, that's really cool. That's what it is every single time. I can almost lip read along with them. So, yeah. And you're right. Most people choose based on pragmatic needs. Most people choose based on solving a problem in their life. But like we all remember a time when... You see, that doesn't even have to be phones, guys. Pick something. Pick computers. Pick headphones. You know, when when these things were specialty objects that we talked about because we were geeky about them, and then they became mainstream objects. They became commoditized. And I don't know. There's a loss of specialness that comes with that that I don't like. So what's next? What's the next special thing bound to be commoditized? I would love to be proven wrong about the statement. I do think AI is very clearly the future in a lot of cases, the present. But when I, and again, I would love to be proven wrong about this. Love to look back on this in five years and be like, man, was he incorrect. But when I hear one box that can do all these things, one box be a projector, one box can analyze, one box can communicate. The last time I heard one box doing all these things, it was Theranos. Hmm. I'm like, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is a, a similar thing, but there's like a lot being promised. Yeah. This is a see it to believe. And if they're live demos or live demos and they do what this allegedly can do, it is game changing. But there's a lot being promised here. I mean, this is like uh, a new car company and building an electric car with a thousand miles of range. It can recharge in 14 seconds and can drive itself across country. They're big promises. I would love to see these promises be fulfilled, but I remain very dubious. I will say this. 
I don't know if this is worth anything, but I did feel it today. When I was prepping for the show, I didn't realize, guys, that the Humane Pin had been shown off. Uh, I knew it had been shown at a fashion show and worn on the models, but, you know, you can't really see it in too much detail. Uh, but we've seen it up close. Somebody took a camera and, and did a 360 around the thing. And I'm now much more excited about it than I was an hour ago before I saw that video, because what this has done is taken AI, which is this nebulous, huge thing. It's the future. It lives in the cloud. It's scary. It's whatever. And condensed it into something that will be a, a wearable that a company invested in making things look good is going to try to sell to normal folks. And I love that. I think the Google Glass analogy is a good one because, yeah, it might fall on its face, but... It's, or focals by North, like this is a new thing. It will not replace the smartphone, but it, it is a new category that for a little bit will be very interesting to see how normal folks feel about it out in the world. It'll be very interesting for me to use and be like, should I leave my phone in my bag for a little bit and just see what that feels like? Like it's pushing the boundaries of how we experience the world in first person by using AI, which I am already tired of hearing about but in, in a new and exciting way. So I think that's going to be the next category I'm, I'm actually stoked about as a content creator and as a tech nerd. And that's pretty cool. What about you, John? I'm naturally skeptical, but I'm also very easily excited. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of the humane hype and projection, and I'll, I think it's, it sounds incredible. I would love to be excited by this. And if they deliver even the 50% of what it can be, I am very excited. I don't love the idea of being recorded all the time, but I think we're always being recorded all the time anyway. Not audio. We're not always being recorded on audio. I don't know. All of our uh, phones, computers, everybody's, everybody's concerned about the cameras on those things. I don't really pay attention to the microphones. Yeah. I understand the point of not wanting to be a player because I don't want to be a player either. But I wonder if that stands in the way of progress or if that's worth standing in the way of progress. You know, if that privacy and that sense of like just having a moment is, is worth stopping a certain amount of progress. It's probably an interesting question. Yeah, no, I think it certainly is because I think privacy is like, look, I'm not the guy who turns off the ad sense like settings. Like I like my ads to be relevant to me, but also I think we've talked about this on this show before, like very famous study decades and decades ago that found that people change their behavior when they think they are being supervised. And that they do that even when they're trying to look up knowledge, like in a library, which is why until the Patriot Act, it was illegal to like you had to subpoena somebody's library records or you couldn't. So like, yeah, I hate that feeling of being constantly monitored by something somewhere. So at some point you do have to push back on it. That's a fair point. We're all over the place, man. I love your takes. I love your insights. I love your perspective. I love your voice. So we're very, very happy to have <laughs> you back on the show. The feeling is mutual on all counts. I look forward, John, to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Yes. Be well, guys. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. 
Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at GearLive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.